All right, we've got a great episode for you today. Before we get to the Club Pro Guy, I want to remind you guys that now is the time to start thinking about subscribing for PGA Tour Live for the next season. $39.99 annually, and with that, you get $40 off tee times at teeoff.com. Essentially, you get to watch golf for free for the entire year, Thursdays and Fridays, as well as the weekends. I've said enough about uh, how much I believe in this product. So make sure you're subscribed to this for the start of the season. Put on your Christmas wish list. Uh, Also, did you know that Travis Matthew, makers of men's apparel for work and play, they just released a new collection of footwear. That's right. That's shoes by Travis Matthew from the lightweight, comfortable slip-ons like the Tracers to stylish lace-ups like the Quincy and the Cruisers. It's time to say hello to your new favorite shoes. Go to travismatthew.com slash shoes for more details. Now let's get to the Club Pro Guide. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Before we cut right to the Club Pro Guy, I hate that I have to do this, but do want to at least give a, provide a little bit of background information for those that potentially don't follow him on Twitter. He is at Club Pro Guy on Twitter. Uh, it is a parody account that a comedic genius has made uh, with a whole backstory of how he played for years on the Mexican mini tours and is now a Club Pro uh, in Kansas City. Uh, we did have to mask his voice for this. He is hiding from some debts that he owes the Mexican cartels that uh, are apparently looking for him. Uh, but we had him on here today to tell his just fascinating backstory of his tumultuous life on the road in Mexico and what it's like in the uh, in the, the glorious world of a club pro in Kansas City. So uh, hope you enjoy it. It's a bit off the cuff and he, uh, he lets a few things loose and uh, we don't uh, necess- his views are not necessarily of the same opinion of ours. So that's our disclaimer. Uh, and please enjoy the Club Pro Guy. All right, now welcoming on a very special guest. Uh, his name is the Club Pro Guy. And after a legendary run uh, on the Mexican tour, he has settled into what we can all agree is uh, a dream job. And it's his dream job, uh, Club Pro Guy. When did you know that being a Club Pro was your dream job? I think for me it was early on. You know, early it, it it goes way back actually, probably all the way to my junior instructor who who told me way back then that that he thought I had the talent to someday be a club pro. You know, it was something he saw, and what a great guy he was. He was he was like a like a poor man's Jack Grout or Cameron McCormick or Jerry Sandusky. He just knew the game, you know, and he related to juniors so well and. And it was nice to be armed with the knowledge that I could fall back on being a club pro, you know, because because toward the end of my career, you know, I wasn't making cuts. I was I was dealing with a nasty paternity suit. You know, my my mental game slash attitude coach had just committed suicide. So, you know, the writing was on the wall. It was it was time. And and once I decided to make the move, you know, the benefits, the benefits were immediate. You know, when I started working here, I was making 35 K right out of the gate, you know? Okay. And after that, the staff deals came, came pretty hot and heavy. You know, I signed, I signed early on with Arias, uh, Knights of the round table, uh, dockers, you know, I got all their stuff at cost plus, uh, you know, on the equipment side, I, I signed early on with the perfect club, you know, back when they were hot. 
uh, Nickent Golf, uh, Blue Ridge Golf Balls, you know, Castle Bay Iron Covers, all of this early. You know, they sent me all their stuff at cost. So I don't say all this to brag. You know, I know it sounds like that, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of what it was like for me to, to, to make the transition from tour player to club pro. And, and it was really easy. And I think a lot of that was because of my pedigree, you know, my resume and, uh, you know, the industry pretty much welcomed me with open arms. Well, uh, I'm flowing with envy over here, but I do want to go back to your playing career. I mean, you were, you were a legend on the mini tour scene in Mexico. What's your, what would you say is your favorite memory of playing across the border? You know, reflexively, I want to say it was my eight-hole par streak back in 97. And I think I think that's probably what I'm most known for. But, you know, sentimentally, uh, you know, and personally, I, I think it was probably the scene on the 18th green uh, in the second round of the O2 Las Mochas Masters. I had just made a great two-putt bogey to make the cut on the number. And my third wife, Brandy, came sprinting out onto the green. I'll never forget. She had on she had on yoga pants and a mesh tube top that were both just way too small for her. And this was this was actually right before she'd had the breast reduction. And we just embraced. And, you know, I'll never forget her cigarette burned a hole on the shoulder of my Limoge sweater vest. But at that point, I didn't even care. You know, the emotions just poured out. And, you know, I think part of it's because I just – you know, I was just coming off missing the prior 22 cuts in a row, and my game was a mess. I, I was going through equipment changes. You know, I was in a bad way mentally and physically. You know, I was drinking a lot, and uh, this was about the time where I had adopted the stack and tilt method, and I found out about four months into it that I was actually tilting the wrong direction, and you know, my swing was just a mess, a mess, and. Before the tournament, I actually had just decided to go ahead and just embrace my double cross. I just said, screw it. So I just I just would aim dead right and just play a cut and then hope it double cross down the fairway. And and the hard work was validating. I mean, it really was. It, uh, it paid off. And, you know, I can laugh about it now, but, uh, you know, the next day I actually got DQ'd for having a non-conforming chipper in the bag. But, you know, that's golf. That's golf. That's going to happen. But, uh, you know, sadly, Brandy and I got divorced two or three months after that. But I think if you were to catch up with her and ask her, I think she would agree that 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 was a really special moment for for her as well as for me. Well, it's got to be pretty easy for you with your background in the dating scene. I mean, do you do you include your mini tour results in your bio on your various dating apps that you use? Uh, it's, it's just such a different world now than when I played, you know, it's, it's totally different. You know, I remember a time when, when I could walk into a cantina or, or even a Chili's here stateside and in, in, in nothing but a cutter and buck mock neck and my Dexter teaching shoes and just have the pick of the litter. I mean, it was, it was so easy. Now it's so different now. Everything's online. You know, it's all about the internet. I mean, you know, you gotta be online to be in the game and, and, and I've done that. You know, I'm a little bit old school. I still have dial-up in my condo, but but I have memberships to to a couple sites. I'm, you know, I currently have full-paying memberships to to Zeusk, uh, Blender. Uh, you know, I have a platinum membership to Christian Mingle, uh, Planet Romeo. Uh, what else? OK Cupid, Plenty of Fish, Farmers Only, uh, Our Time. Uh, let's see, be naughty. Uh, I actually have a, 
I actually have a provisional membership with Black People Meet that I'm, I'm thinking about dropping. But, you know, I like to start with quantity over quality first. You know, I'll just I'll just get in bed at night, log on to Tinder and just swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, 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 right. You know, it's to me, it's like golf. You know, you might make 50 bad swings before you finally catch one flush. And that's kind of my strategy with, with online dating. And so to answer your question, I don't put specific mini tour results in my bio because, you know, there's not enough room. I just I just like to say I'm a former professional athlete, you know, which is true. And it gets a ton of hits. And that's kind of the name of the game. You know, once I meet these women, you know, and they find out that I'm that I'm still making payments on an O2 Miata and that I've got a I've got a gambling habit that's that's clearly out of control. You know, things don't go as well, but that's dating. You know, it's going to happen. You know, social media makes it so easy for these players today. You know, so easy. You look at guys like, you know, Fowler, uh, JT, Kepka, you know, Kari Webb. I mean, these players have no problem scoring with the ladies. You know, I didn't have Instagram when I played. You know, I if you didn't subscribe to Mexican Mini Tour Monthly, you didn't know what was going on. So, you know, I wasn't profiled by Rich Lerner. I wasn't, I wasn't on Faraday. So, you know, these players have a huge advantage over what I, what I had, but you know, that's, that's the way it is. It's just a different, different generation. And, uh, uh, you know, I wish them the best. There's not a lot of footage from your days on the Mexican tour, but from what we do know, uh, collecting stats on the internet in 96, you led the Mexican tour in strokes gained punching out sideways. Would you say that's a teachable skill? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but Solly, you have to be willing to put in the work. Okay. You know, was, was Lynn Matisse born a great ball striker or did he put in the work? He had to work at it. And for me, punching out is no different. You know, it's, it's all about pre-round preparation. You know, back when I played, I would get to the course, you know, two to four hours before my tee time. And I would do what everybody else would do. You know, I would, I'd go to the range and hit some shots. You know, I'd go to the short game area, hit some putts, hit some chips, you know, hit a few bunker shots. But for me, where the rubber met the road was when my caddy Ernesto and I would head off to the side of the range and find a a patch of trees, you know, a wooded area. And we'd go to work. Okay. We'd have a, we'd have a monster bucket and we'd drop it and I'd go through the bag. So, you know, I might start with a wedge and hit six to 10, you know, solid punch outs you know, and work on different trajectories, you know, high, mid-range, low. And then again, we'd work through the bag. So I'd go nine, eight, seven. You know, when I got to the seven, I'd work on some some longer punch outs, maybe from two fairways over, which would, would happen on occasion. And can continue through the bag, five, four, three, all the way down to the chipper. And then once, once I got done with those, I would do what I would, what we used to call alternative punch outs. So I might, I might turn a club over and get my back to the target and do some, you know, some one armed flip punch outs. You know, if you're right up against a tree, uh, I'd take 10 or 15 balls and get on my knees and, and do what we used to call baseball swing punch outs, you know, so, uh, you know, to get under really low limbs. So, you know, this stuff just doesn't happen. I mean, you don't get great at something without work. And I, you know, I certainly put in the work and, you know, one, one final postscript to this, something amateurs don't realize that us pros do is we, we script the first shot of the day. So if the, if the T ball off number one calls for a high cut, 
you know, the last shot we hit on the range is going to be a high cut. But because I like to, you know, over prepare, you know, I would script the first two rounds of the, of the, <clears throat> of the day. So the first tee called for a high cut, you know, I'd pull out my driver and hit a high double cross. And then I'd pull out a seven iron and hit a nice firm punch. And then I'd head to the first tee ready to go. What was, what would you say the low point was of your, of your playing days? Well, I, you know, you're talking to a guy who missed his first 44 cuts on tour. Okay. So, so I know a couple of things about low points. You know, I think if you played as long as I played, you're going to have some low points. And, and I don't think it's different from any of the top players today. I mean, I don't know if you've had them on your podcast, but, but go talk to Frank Licklider. You know, go, go interview Briny Baird. I think they've had low points as well, you know, and I'm no different. And if you want specifics, I, the one that stands out is probably the 94 Tecate Cup, which, as you know, is, is, was our tour's version of the Ryder Cup. Sure. We, played, yeah. we, played, we played Guatemala every other year. And, you know, in 94, we had a great team and were favored to win. But, you know, for me personally, it was a disaster. I, you know, not only did I go 0-5-0 and in the matches, but, but I found, like, found out shortly after that my second wife, Mercedes, you know, slept with three of my teammates and two of the Guatemalan players during the event. So, you know, that's a low point. Uh, you know, you want low points. You know, I signed a deal with U.S. Kids Golf in 95 and didn't realize in the fine print that I had to play their equipment. Okay? I played the better part of two seasons with a 35-inch driver. Okay, killed my game, killed it. Uh, you know, you want low points. Uh, you know, I missed the entire '98 season with chlamydia. You know, I had to use a major medical exemption. That's a low point. Uh, you know, I didn't find out until midway through my third year on tour that distances in Mexico were measured in meters. You know, that explained a ton. So, you know, obviously, I was blessed to have a lot of highs in my career. But, uh, you know, there were a few lows as well. well. Let's talk about some of those highs. What is, what's the record you've had for the most consecutive cuts? It's a great question. The answer is three, and it's actually something I'm pretty proud of. You know, you know I'm not saying it's anything like Tiger Woods' streak, which I think, which I think is, is over a dozen, but, but mine's nothing to sneeze at. You know, golf is such an interesting game because, because players just get hot, you know, and you, you don't know why. You don't know when it's coming, when it's going. It's crazy. I remember earlier this year, you know, Justin Thomas wins in Maui to open the season. Then the next week he wins it at the Sony. You know, he's white hot. You know, he can do no wrong. And then, you know, then he kind of falls off. You don't you don't hear from him again. But it's 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 like that South Korean gal on the LPGA tour. I can't remember her name, but she's she's hot all the time. But for me. It was in 2000 when I just I just kind of caught lightning in a bottle, and it was on the it was on the Baja swing, and uh, it went through San Jose, Cabo San Lucas, and Toto Santos. Made the cut in all three events. I think I went sub 150 in the first two rounds in each event. Uh, I finished. Uh, I don't know, my mom's got this somewhere, but I think I was a T44 in San Jose. Uh, I had a really, really bad WD in Cabo and then a, and then a solo 12th uh, in a limited field event in Toto Santos. So I was able to cash a couple checks, which was great. But the funny thing is the next week when I got to La Paz, the game was gone, totally gone. And I think part of that is, you know, I put in three new swing thoughts all having to do with my right elbow. And I think it had a negative effect. But, 
you know, golf's fickle that way. You know, the key is recognizing when you're hot and riding it, you know, and that's certainly what I did for those three events. We've heard the club pro guy talk about the importance of iron head covers in the game today, but did you know that Callaway is the number one iron brand in golf and they just announced two new options for better players? That's the X-Forged and Apex MBs. Aside from being probably the best looking iron I've ever seen, the X-Forged irons are designed based on extensive feedback from tour players and are engineered with a tremendous combination of performance, control, turf interaction, and incredible feel from the triple net forging. CallawayGolf.com for more details to order your X-Forge or Apex MB irons today. Let's get back to the Club Pro guy. Well, I can only imagine what the list of top players you've played with looks like. I mean, what are what are some of the highlights uh, that, in your opinion? Well, I was blessed. I mean, I was blessed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I played in a great era. I, you know, it reminds me a little bit of when Arnie passed, you know, the king. I remember the Golf Channel did a show or a piece on it where they talked about not only his, his, his golf, you know, highlights, which were numerous, but they talked about the people he was able to play with during his career, you know, the the celebrities, the athletes, you know, and, and I kind of feel like my career mirrored that a little bit. You know, I was lucky to play in an era with so many big names, you know, like Ramon Torres and Vincente Calderon and, Esteban Toledo's half brother Pablo and you know Sergio Lobatas, Emilio Mendez. I mean, I, I could go on, but you get the idea. But it's funny how after I retired, I learned that former athletes and celebrities they all run in the same circles. You know, it was so interesting. You know, I remember back in '09, I played in a charity event, and I'm on the range, and I'm hitting balls directly between Tommy Tolles and Mark Carnivale. Okay. That was a stripe show, by the way. Carnival's got a great move. You know, on the celebrity side, you know, I played with Eric Estrada. Uh, I played with Mario Lopez back when Saved by the Bell was at his peak. You know, I played with Craig T. Nelson's stepson. Uh, I played with Todd from different strokes. So, you know, the list goes on. It's funny. I remember a year or two ago, Tony and I took a day trip down to my timeshare in Branson. I get a day each February. And I get to the first tee, and I'm paired with Robbie Shaw, you know, from from Golf Channel's Big Break 10, uh, Michigan. So, you know, I know this all sounds braggadocious, and I don't mean it to. You know, you're the one that asked the question. But the bottom line is is famous people want to play with tour players. It's just, it's just human nature. They're drawn to us. And you know, something I actually embrace, just uh, one final little tidbit. A couple years ago, I'm sitting in the office. I get a call from from one of Justin Timberlake's handlers. He's coming through town for his, his world tour. And I didn't know, Solid, you know, JT's a big time golfer. Yeah. I, don't know, yeah. I don't know if you knew that, but you know, he didn't know much about courses in Kansas city. So they were asking some questions, trying to get him on. I said, listen, we'd love to have him out. Love to, you know, we have a, we have a 164 man corporate outing going on and three temporary greens, but, but have him, have him come out. I'll only charge him a cart fee and he can kind of just play through each group as he goes. And, you know, he never called back and I, I'm not sure why, but the point is I got that phone call. You know, that's the type of calls I get, you know. So, you know, to, to just to tie this up, I think, you know, that's kind of the, the parallel I had with Arnie. And it's I think a lot of former tour players go through the same thing. 
I mean, you have a, a lifetime worth of lessons you would have learned playing the tour. I mean, do you do you take those less valuable lessons you learned to the juniors at your club today? Well, you know, there's a question that hits hits close to home for me because aside from single moms, you know, there's nothing more important to me than juniors. You know, and more specifically, my junior camp. Uh, you know, despite what you hear, you know, I know you talk to a lot of people despite what you hear, you know, golf is in decline. There's no doubt about it. Golf is in decline. You know, Jeff Maggart and Billy Mayfair, they're not here to carry the tour anymore. Okay. We need new blood, you know, as solely as much as you want them to, you know, J Don Blake isn't walking back through that door anytime soon. You know, we need today's young stars to, to pick up the mantle, you know, you know, Ches Reeby, you know, Alex Cheka, uh, Brendan DeJong. We need these guys to step up, you know, but when it comes to the juniors, you know, the kids, uh, I worry about what we're producing. I really do. I feel like we're producing mindless robots, you know, uh, go to a top junior tournament, <clears throat> just go to one and look around. It's, it's nerd city. You know, I'm talking nerdville, you know, these are, these are young boys and girls, you know, you know many of Asian descent who have no clue about the real world, you know, none, you know, can they putt? You know, maybe, uh, do they have technically solid swings, you know, debatable, but, but my question is, are they being taught actual skills? You know, can they calculate an asshole? You know, no. Uh, can they manipulate their handicap in the gym system? Okay. This is huge. You know, think I teach this in my camp, you know, think about it. You, you, you shoot a great score. Do you post it today? Uh, do you wait a few days? <clears throat> do you, do you backdate post it? You know, these, these are skills. Okay. These are skills that need to be taught that aren't being taught. Uh, can they win a, can they negotiate a winning bet on the first tee? You know, I teach that in my camp. How valuable is that to, to learn how to win a bet before you even hit a shot? Okay. These are, these are huge. Now, you know, of course we teach the golf swing. Uh, we teach them the seven, four, seven swing thought system. You know, we teach them the importance of iron covers, et cetera. But all, all that's really secondary, to be honest. You know, my junior camp is more of a life camp than a golf camp. And I think you'll find that my graduates are way more prepared, you know, than the students that go to a Haney or Ledbetter camp. Well, <clears throat> we've only begun to scratch the surface on what your what your role is as a club pros. I mean, you also manage the merchandise in the pro shop. But what's what's a good sales day look like for you guys? Well, it just depends on the day. I mean, it, it varies. You know, I remember remember last year on Black Friday, we had a big day. We had a doorbuster deal on Alien Wedges with custom grinds for 10% off. I think uh, I think we sold two. Uh, you know, after a huge rain, we'll, we'll move some ball retrievers because our bunkers fill up so much with water. But, uh, you know, when it comes to merchandising, I feel like I'm at a big disadvantage because I have to compete with the big box stores you know, like, like Walmart or Target, you know, I had a, I, I had a member come in a couple of weeks ago. He said he found the same nitro 17 piece golf set at Walmart, the same one that I sell in the shop, but he found it at Walmart for $600 cheaper. Okay. And that might be true. I didn't double check it, but it sounds about right. But my question back to him was, okay, but does Walmart offer custom fitting? Does Walmart do personalized wedge stamping? You know, and of course the answer was no and no, you know, it's like people don't want to pay for service anymore. You know, 
have fun, you know, asking that that teenager that sold you that set at Walmart about shaft tolerances and kick points. Okay. Enjoy his response when, when you ask him what the bounce is on that nitro gap wedge, because it's going to be crickets, you know, you know, club members are just, they're so ungrateful. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like when my members bitch that I carry 90% Tabasco chili wear apparel, you know, a, it's the best looking apparel in the game today. And B, I'm not about to discontinue an item I make 300% margin on. Okay. This is my livelihood, you know, and I take merchandising very seriously. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, the shop, I like where the shop is and I think we're in, we're in pretty good shape. Well, what are, what are some of your best selling items at the moment? Well, the staples always move well, you know, uh, neoprene iron covers, uh, you know, plastic club tubes, big, uh, scoring beads, any of my manual stroke counters always move well. You know, I, I like, I'm a little bit progressive. I like, I like to stay just out ahead of the trend. So I like to bring in stuff that's just now getting hot or about to get hot. So, you know, this fall I brought in white belts big. I'm starting to see those everywhere. Uh, golf sandals, you know, huge, you know, everything's kind of going business casual now. So it's moving to golf. So I brought in golf sandals and I know, I know foot joy led the way with this, but I'm on, I'm on credit hold with them. So I brought in some sketchers and some atonic, uh, golf sandals, which are great. Uh, here's one that you probably haven't heard of yet. This is, this is a ball marker that looks exactly like a poker chip. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is something new and, uh, it's unique. And I brought in some of that. So, you know, overall, I think I've got the shop merchandise really well right now. What, I mean, your, your lifestyle, I imagine is pretty wild with, uh, with the way you make a living. What's, what's the most hungover at work you've ever been? Oh my God. Oh, what a question. Oh man. Oh, I think I got to think on that one. Uh, Oh, so you trying to get me in trouble here? Uh, if you had to pin me down, I would probably say it was the morning after the 2015 ladies member guest party. <laughs> uh, this is embarrassing. I, <laughs> I woke up in the bag room completely naked, spooning a life-size cardboard cutout of Aaron Oberholzer from our XC1 wedge display. Uh, ugh. I think a couple of the bag boys actually got a couple, couple pictures of it that I pray doesn't go viral, but, uh, I made it through the morning and I remember, I remember that afternoon, I, I took a dump in the ladies locker room so bad that my GM literally had to call serve pro. Okay. I think, uh, I think I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> what, uh, what's, what would you say is the best part about your job? Oh, the money, the money, no doubt about it. I, I say that without hesitation. You know, I made $42,000 last year. You know, and that was that was before I skimmed a dime out of the range machine. So, you know, so the guys like you or, or or people who don't know me may say I'm overpaid. But I think I think if you ask the members, they'll disagree. I think they recognize my value. You know, imagine being a member here, being able to say to people, you know, the pro at our clubs, a former tour player. I mean, think how neat that is, you know, how unique that is. And and I think it just elevates the club, you know? So do I make a great salary? Yes. But I've, I've heard from talking to other pros. And like when I go to the PGA show, I heard there's pros on the coast, you know, the East and West coast to make more than I do. Okay. Uh, hell I've got a, 
I've got a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who knows Michael Breed, and I heard he makes 90 grand a year. Okay. You know, personally, personally, I'd need to see his W2 to believe that, but anything's possible. You know, this is the golf business. There's a lot of money in this industry, but aside from the money, I'd say it's the prestige. You know, I love having the ability to say I'm a professional. Okay. Think about that word professional. It means, it means to me that I've, I've reached the pinnacle of my chosen field. You know, it says, it says I've mastered my craft. Okay. How many people can say that? It's like, solely it's like you, are you a professional podcaster? And I don't mean any offense, you know, by that, but, but, but no, you're just a guy with a laptop and a microphone. And I think that's the difference. Okay. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, the best part about this job is, is definitely the money and the prestige. Well, with all that money flowing in, what is, uh, what's your investment portfolio look like? Oh, I'm pretty set. You know, I'm set. You know, I, I've got a, I've got a pension from my playing days. That's, uh, that's unfortunately it's based on career earnings and not service time, but, but at least I've got it. You know, I laugh, <laughs> I laugh at my GM and, and some of the guys in the shop for contributing to a 401k. It's just hilarious. You know, personally, I'm not going to spend a bunch of money for something I won't see for 20, 25, 30 years. You know, that's crazy. I've never understood people who do that. I mean, do they not realize how far away 20, 30 years is, you know, I like to invest in things with, with big and immediate upsides, you know, like, like lottery tickets or, or college football parlays. You know, I like to invest a little, you know, with the potential to win a lot. I mean, that's how you build wealth fast. Okay. You know, a couple of years ago, I went 400 bucks on a scratcher's ticket, a $1 scratcher's ticket, you know, you know, go find me those returns on wall street, you know, Mr. Buffett, good luck. Okay. Uh, other than that, I like to keep things liquid. You know, I like cash. Uh, I've got a $200 emergency fund set aside for, for college football games that just leap off the page at me. You know, if I see a line that just screams at me, I've got 200 bucks set aside to make an investment in that. But, uh, you know, on top of that, my mom's not going to live forever and she's diabetic, you know, which is nice. So I've got her nest egg to look forward to, which will, which will be in the high four digit amount. So, you know, I feel I feel like with my current income and, and some of these supplemental things I've got going, I, I feel like I'm I'm more than taken care of. Well, I mean, you've given us a great behind the scenes look at what life is like for for a club pro. But what are, what are your work hours like? Oh, they're long. I mean, they're long by anybody's standards. There's no doubt about it. But you know, that's the gig I signed up for. So I, I don't complain. You know, in season I get here about six a.m. You know, and I leave about nine thirty p.m. Give give or take an hour, but you know, off season, it's, it's much better. You know, that's the great thing about this industry. We work hard in season, but we dial it way back in the off season. So, you know, off season, I'm, I work 7am to 7pm, which is great. You know, it gives me a chance to really recharge my batteries, you know, and I have, I have off time as well. You know, I've got, I've got the afternoon of uh, December 8th off and I've got all day February 6th. So, you know, I plan on making those count, you know, maybe, maybe just, spending some time with Tawny, you know, relaxing, you know, I think a work life balance is important, you know, but, but on the other side of the coin, you got to remember, you know, I wear a lot of hats here. I run the golf operations. I, I run the retail piece. I give lessons. I manage the staff. I need to be here. Okay. When I'm here, the trains run on time and, 
And I, I, I want to make this the best semi-club pro or semi-private club it could be. And to do that, I need to be here. Well, I mean, working those kind of hours, just doing the quick back of the napkin math, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of time to practice. I mean, what, what's the current state of your game? Well, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, my game's solid right now. You know, I'd even, I'd even say super solid. You know, I, I shot 76 in June, you know, from the white tees. I, uh, I broke 83 more times in July. Uh, you know, in September, I was part of a, a key part, key part of a four man scramble team that shot one under, you know, that's, that's red numbers. You know, we did, we did have five feet of string, but, but I'm playing as well as I ever have. You know, and part of that is I'm hitting it long. I'm hitting it really long right now, just just kind of bombing and gouging it. And I think part of that's I just put new TI bubble shafts in my woods. You know, they're making a big, big difference. But, uh, you know, that's not to say there aren't things to work on. You know, even pros work on things, and I'm no different. You know, some of the things I'm working on, I'm trying to get my pre-shot routine under 120 seconds, okay? I think two minutes is kind of the magic mark for me. And I'm I work on that all the time. Uh, I'm working on provisional tee balls. Huge. Okay. You know, that's another thing, a little difference between pros and, and amateurs. Pros realize how important provisional tee balls are. You got to get those in play to keep a hot round going. Uh, what else? Anchoring huge for me. You know, I, these new rule changes have, have really affected me. I, I use a belly putter and really, really jam it into my belly. So I'm working on ways to kind of untuck my shirt, if you will, and, and let it drape a little bit to kind of to give that illusion to my playing partners that I'm not anchoring. So that's something something I can actually work on in my condo at night, but that's big for me. Uh, you know, I'm working on getting more creative when asking if putts are good. You know, this is important. You know, I you know, I don't just stand there and wait for somebody to give me a putt. I, I like to ask for it. So I'll look, I'll look a competitor right in the eye and say, you know, do you need to see that? Or, or I might bend over like I'm about to pick up a five footer and then give my opponent a look and say, can I pick this up? You know, you want to put them in an awkward position. You know, a lot of people have trouble saying no. So I like to work on that. Uh, quick raking, you know, I've been working on quick raking, you know, this is huge. I get a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, CPG, how can I cut a stroke or two off my game right away? And I tell them quick raking. You know, this is this is when you have a four or five footer, you know, and you hit the putt and you immediately realize it's going to roll past the hole, you know, out of gimme range. Get over to it quick and, and rake it up as it's rolling, okay? This really puts your opponents in an awkward position not to give you that putt. You know, they won't make you put it back down because, you know, hell, you don't even know where to put it back down. So quick raking, you know, huge. But – you know, this is golf. There's there's always stuff to work on, and uh, but as far as my swing goes right now, I feel feel really really good. What about we we haven't talked a lot about you as an instructor, but what what's been some of the most rewarding moments you've had as an instructor at the club? Well, you got to remember, I've got you know I've had six former students win net club championships. Okay, and I've got I've got two guys right now that if I can get them in the right flight could win one this year or maybe next. So, so there's a resume there. I mean, there's an impressive, impressive body of work and, you know, I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it, you know, especially on this podcast, but I just don't feel like I've ever been properly recognized for, for my contributions to golf instruction. And, you know, it goes back to this, this golf digest top 50 or golf magazine, top 100 instructor thing. You know, this thing really gnaws at me. Okay. 
it's people who don't play golf don't realize that it's it's also subjective okay it's so political you know i don't want to name any names you know but you're telling me david ledbetter is a top instructor why you know because he taught faldo you know last i checked faldo couldn't break 80 okay so I honestly believe if Ledbetter didn't have an Australian accent, you know, he'd be given lessons at a golf galaxy in Jacksonville. Okay. I'm just not buying the accent, you know, and today, today with these big time t-shirts, it's all, it's all about technology. It's, it's, it's all, it's all they care about. It's all they care about is the track man. They rely too much on it. There's no more field teachers. You know, I don't use a track man because, because a, I can't afford one. And B, I don't need a computer to tell me that you just hit your last 10 hybrids dead right. Okay. I can see that, you know, this track man thing's so silly. I love these members who come into my office that can't break 90 asking me about spin rates and attack angles. You know, you know, it's crazy. You know, here's an idea. When you stop double hitting chips, I'll start talking to you about smash factors. You know, how's that sound? You know, it, it, Today's players just need to get back to fundamentals, period. And, and, you know, that's that's part of the reason why I teach the 747 swing thought system. It's it's the easiest way to play your best golf. What What is the 747 swing thought system? It's the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah, it's, it's a proprietary system I developed. You know, it's it's similar to the to the Hank Haney blueprint or Jim McLean's X Factor. You know, it's comprised of seven specific swing thoughts that you need to to recite during the takeaway four swing thoughts that you need to recite during the transition and then seven final swing thoughts that you recite from transition to impact, you know, hence seven, four, seven. Now a little side note under, under the gun or under pressure, this becomes the 12, seven, 11 system, but I, you know, I don't think we need to go into that here. Well, what are the swing thoughts? Uh, it's, it's, it's proprietary. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta pay for that. Well, I mean, give, give me a few. Like, what's swing thought number two on the takeaway? Okay. All right. Uh, swing thought number two on the takeaway is hinge the wrist 90 degrees. All right. Now, like, give me swing thought number five on the takeaway. Swing thought number five is, are you sure you hinged 88 degrees? Because it felt like it could have been 70 or 75. And then what's an example of, like, say, swing thought three of the transition? Let's see. Three on the transition is, oh, uh, whatever you do, don't go right. And what about the final swing swing thought at impact? Uh, flip it. Flip it. Flip it. You know, these, you know, these are just basic instructions. They're checkpoints. You know, you've got to remember that the golf swing is a very, very complicated set of movements. Okay. I drives me nuts when these teachers today say, oh, just be athletic. You know, just just let it happen. That's crazy. I mean, Sully, that'd be like me putting you in an F-17 and, and telling you to land it on an aircraft carrier and say, Sully, just just be athletic. You know, just let it happen. You know, it wouldn't work. You know, it wouldn't end well. So so anyways, you know, the 747 system is just a, a great way to keep my students swing in sync. And I think uh, I, it's hard to argue with the results. Well, I, I know you're vacating your shop here for, for a long time, so I won't keep you much longer. But uh, what kind of events do you have going on at the club this week? Oh, we got a ton going on. We always do. You know, it's always busy here. And I think I think part of that is because we're semi-private, okay? So, so we have members 
and then we have non-members who have purchased our Groupon. Okay, so you know we have member-only events. You know, for this this Friday, for example, we've got the uh, we got the Couples Twilight Three Club Glow Ball Modified Shamble. You know, which is an event exclusively for our members. Okay, uh, we also have open member-only tea times you know, typically on Saturday and Sunday after 3 p.m. So so that gives them that air of exclusivity. You know, membership has its privileges, if you will. Now, for our friends with a Groupon, we give them we give them a taste of country club life, you know, and, and, and it also generates some revenue for us. So so we set aside tea times for our Groupon folks on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And and it's just, you know, a little side note, our our Groupon folks actually have better access to the club and pay about a, a quarter as much, but that's just kind of a hidden secret. But another piece I didn't mention was the corporate outings, you know, the charity scrambles, corporate events, and we hold those every day of the week, Monday through Friday. And typically those are going to have, you know, anywhere between 144 and 172 players, you know, we'll get them off around 9 a.m. And, and, and they'll get off the off the course around six or six thirty, and then after that, of course, we have we have wide open play for our members and our Groupon folks. But you know, very busy. We like the hybrid aspect with the semi-private, and uh, you know, it keeps us hopping. Do you have a favorite member? Uh you know, to me, any member that doesn't give me a detailed account of their round. Or, or update me on their game as a whole as a favorite member of mine. You know, if I wanted to know how many edges you burned and route to your 92, you know, I'd volunteer to caddy for you and, and, and hold a camcorder all day and, and then you know, take it home and watch it on a continuous loop. You know, nobody, and I mean, nobody cares about your up and down on 16 today. Okay. And I'm talking not just to my members right now. I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking to members of, 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 of clubs anywhere, you know, your head pro does not care about anything you did on the course today. You know, nobody cares that you almost hold a bunker shot or that, that 20 foot slider you had lipped out. Okay. You're a 14 handicap. There's, there's nothing special or interesting about your game. You know, it'd be like, it would be like me going out today and bowling a 115 and coming to your place of work and, and walking you through it frame by frame. You know, how would you like that? You know, your 88 that you shot yesterday, it might impress your wife. You know, it might impress the guys in your Wednesday night Bible study, but it doesn't impress me. And it, and it doesn't impress your head, head pro either. You know, short of the beverage cart girl giving you multiple inadvertent beaver shots, there's nothing you tell me about your round that's going to interest me. You know, so just save your breath, you know. And that, that actually goes for golf trips as well. You know, I don't, I don't need a whole by whole description of Harbor town. You know, I've seen it on TV a million times, you know, Oh, you played Tory Pines on a business trip. You know, great. You know, go tell someone who cares. Okay. Cause it's not me. So to answer your question, you know, my favorite member is the guy who comes in and, and doesn't say anything about his game. So last question, we'll let you get out of here. You've been more than gracious with your uh, ever-demanding uh, time and schedule, but what kind of effect does, your, does this demanding job have on your personal life, and do you find it hard to hold a relationship? Well, I think that goes without saying. You know, I, I get off work about the same time Tawny heads into dance every night. You know, we're, 
we're kind of like two ships, you know, passing in the night. And, you know, I might stop by her club on the way home and watch her dance a set, but, you know, typically she's in the private champagne room with multiple guys, so it's tough. You know, it makes it tough. But I think, I think this is where I have parallels with Tiger. You know, when you're, when you're singularly focused on being great at something, you know, I think that, that relationships suffer. And I think that's, that's what happened to Tiger. And that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I've had, I've had three marriages all destroyed because, because I've been so driven towards greatness, you know, and you know, that's the way it was in my playing days. Now it's a little bit less stressful, you know, do I want to settle down again someday? Sure, sure. But, but right now I'm just not able to, and I would love in the future to get a part-time job and go off where I'm only working 80 hours so I can, you know, spend more time downtime with, with the folks that are close to me. But but right now, you know, I'm needed here and I'm focused on the job at hand and that's what I'm going to do. Well, on that note, I, uh, I know you got to get back to the shop and help out with those uh, alimony payments. So we're going to let you go. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the rest of the season. I want you to enjoy that afternoon off on December 8th. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up again sometime soon in the future. Anytime, Sully. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Club Pro. Okay. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. 